today on It's Time. One, we will do that. We call them, you've heard this, workaholics. They'll work every day thinking, thinking that my extra work is going to make the difference. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. everybody and following the service across the hall we got coffee and donuts and all those good things that uh, we can uh, spend a little time knowing more about each other i want to encourage you to stick around afterwards if you have your bible this morning i'd like to invite you to open it to exodus chapter 20 now again we find as we study the new testament jesus was questioned by a lot of different people concerning the law well what is the law We remember in, the Bible tells us in Matthew 22, a lawyer, and it's interesting to me, lawyers are a kind of a unusual group of people. And he came and he said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Testing him, it says. And Jesus said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. He said, upon these two. Now, never mind the Ten Commandments that we're going to look at today. We have generally trouble just keeping the two, loving God and loving our fellow man. But Jesus then says that really in these two is the fulfillment of all the things that the Ten Commandments speak of. Now, it's interesting to me today, there's so many different groups that try to get, once you're a believer in Christ, to go back under the law. This, in the New Testament, is what the book of Galatians is about. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, Paul writes to them, this, the churches that were scattered throughout Galatia, the lower part of Asia. He said, you begun in the spirit, are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? In other words, all really the Ten Commandments can do is attack the flesh. But the problem is, friends, the flesh is a problem. It's always been a problem. Jesus says, in the Spirit, you can fulfill what the Bible says here is what pleases God. Now, the reason why the Bible is important, this book is how God will judge the world someday. You want to know what the rules are? You want to know what the black and white? You want to know the bottom line? That's what the Bible is about. It's how God's going to judge the world. What does God think about everything? Well, we find here in chapter 20, the people were told to go to the base of Mount Sinai and their God would audibly speak to them. 
And so they had gathered themselves. Moses is there. He put up a perimeter, that yellow tape that says, do not cross. I don't know what he had, but he had something like that. And he said, don't get any closer because you're going to get killed if you get any closer to the base of the mountain. And so then God begins to speak to the people his standard. That's what we're going to look at today. But we always have to remember it goes back to what Jesus said to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my, my commandments. Jesus' commandments were not the Ten Commandments. Jesus' commandments was to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask that you would speak to us and cause us to remember these things. And Lord, as we really look, the more we know about you, the more we know about us. And so as we spend this time in study of your word this morning, may you cause us to remember these things and that we could defend ourselves against people that say, well, in order to really love you, God, we have to keep your commandments rather than keeping what you said, Jesus, to love you and love our fellow man. In Jesus' name, amen. They're gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. God says, I'm going to speak to them. And this is what God said. And God spoke all these words saying, this is what God said. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. By the way, I always think it's good to remember what God has done for us. I don't always understand everything that God has allowed to come into my life. And as a matter of fact, if you've ever gone through a health issue, health crisis, I have. I know many of you have. I had a heart attack uh, last December, and they put me on all kinds of medicines and all that kind of stuff that kind of mess with your head. You ever notice that? You ever have that, and they give you medicines, and you get despondent, and you get sad, and I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, you find yourself kind of a bucket of emotions, But the Bible tells us that really God is the one that brings us through it all. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now notice, before the law was ever given, before God's standard was ever pronounced to them, God blessed them and took them out of slavery. I think it's really important because oftentimes we think that Well, we're only rewarded when we're good little boys and good little girls. Here we find that the children of Israel actually rejected Moses the first time he showed up. And reluctantly, they only followed him the second time when he brought them out of the land of Egypt after the 10 plagues. And so we find now that Moses has has demonstrated to them, God has demonstrated to them his love, even before the law was ever given. Verse 3, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what God said. First commandment. No other gods before him. What does this tell us about God? And what does it tell us about us? Man, you know, if you go to college in order to graduate, you've got to take your psych classes. Yeah, man, but I only want to be a body and fender man. That's all right. We have to indoctrinate you into the world of psychobabble. Okay? 
You know what I'm talking about. If you've been to college and you got to study Young and Freud and all these other psychobabble people to try to figure out what's wrong with humans and what's right with humans and how to justify that evil conscience. Well, the Bible says here, you'll have no other gods before me. What does that tell you? First, it tells us there is one God and he must be worshipped. Number two, we're idolaters by nature. Now, again, when you study Jung and Freud and they get into the psyche of man, hey, listen, the Ten Commandments is the best expose ever written on what is wrong with human beings, okay? You want to know what's wrong with human beings? Read the Ten Commandments, but read it with understanding, and it's going to help you understand a lot more about why people are the way they are and why you're the way you are. Here it says, you shall have no other gods before me. But you know, by nature, we want to worship something, don't we? Isn't it weird that somehow in, in the build it, the psyche of man, we want to worship something? And you think about what we have worshipped in our lives. It might be that new motorcycle. It might be that new house. It might be that diploma on the wall. But there is something that has captured our fancy that causes our existence for being. Yesterday, we had Everett's memorial service. And I was sharing with everybody how there's three things we really need to live. A self we can live with, a reason to live for, and a faith to live by. And when we lose track of those things, we can begin to introduce into our lives so many things that are not healthy for us. By nature, we have to have a reason to live for. What lights your fire? What causes you to put your shoes on in the morning and go out for your cup of coffee? What, what is your motive? Well, here's the thing. The reason we live for, that's going to be your God. See, the Bible tells us that from him, the father of lights comes all good things. And so when we see here, he says that thou shalt have no other gods by nature, We're idolaters. We just are. We'll worship anything, friends. We'll worship the new car. We'll worship uh, 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 the idea, thought of a vacation. We'll worship anything. We have, it's like all of us as human beings are little idol generators. What's going to be the idol this week? I don't know. But what captures your fancy? What lights your fire? What causes you And what motivates you? You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first thing I find about human nature is we want to worship something. He says here, you shall not make for yourselves any carved image, likeness uh, of anything which is in heaven above or that in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. Look at this. He says, don't make images to somehow represent what God is. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says those that worship God worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. But by nature, we are creatures of sight. We are. If I can't see it, I don't believe it. 
So the danger here, God says, is for you to try to form something in my image that represents who I am. In other words, from the mind of a man carving something saying, well, this is what God looks like. Now you look at it, 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 religions around the world and look at what they worship. Look at the carvings or the created statues, whether it's Buddha or tikis. This is their concept of what God or what deity or what that of religious uh, respect is due. By the way, if you ever look up close on a Buddha, do you know, you know what's on his head? It looks like little curls. Nope. Snails. He fell asleep in the sun. And the story has it that the snails all crawled up on top of his head as a sunblock. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that can stay in one place long enough to have a whole bunch of snails cover your head, I got issues with that. The idea, the concepts that people come up of what is God like? Oh, friends, it's endless. Look at some of your TV sitcoms. Touched by an angel, or depending on where you're at, touched by an uncle. I don't know. But when you look and see what goes on, people's concepts of God are so weird. And if you don't have God's perspective of who he is, you will have a skewed concept of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. John three sixteen. Again, that pivotal verse in the Bible that kind of summarizes everything about God. You need to know about him. Now, why is that? Because understanding God loves us. People sometimes come up with a God that must be appeased. God is angry with humanity, chucking lightning bolts down on your car. Really? Well, that's what some people think. But the Bible tells us God so loved the world that he made a peace offering. He sent Jesus Christ. It's interesting, again, before the law was given, God delivered the children of Israel out of slavery. God always, always makes the first move. I love you, as a matter of fact, buddy. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. I'm waiting for you to answer it, as it says in uh, Revelation chapter 3. So God is a giving God. God is a God of kindness, a God of love. The Bible says he wishes none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. That's the heart of God. So he said, the problem is people try to carve an image that says, whoa, this looks like God. It's not. God says, my ways are far above your ways. What what image could we make of God? Those that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. But we as human beings like to worship what we see. Not only are we designed, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that we are designed to worship something, but we like to worship what we see. Now this gets into the psyche of man and what causes the problems. And as we move on, as you'll find the first Four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationships with each other. So he says, you shall not take, oh, by the way, verse six, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, I'm a jealous God. 
I thought jealousy was a sin. No, it's just that we have the wrong fondnesses for things. If you say, I don't want anything else but God in my life, that's a jealousy. But that's a good one. God says the same thing. I'm a jealous God. I don't want to share you with any other gods, any other thing. God says, I want you all to myself. I like that about God. You're the apple of his eye. You're the focus of his, of his, of his pleasure. He says, I'm a jealous God. Now he says, those that hate me, I'll visit their wickedness in their families. Listen, friends, I don't believe in generational curses. I know there's books written in bookstores and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible says God does not punish generations for the wickedness of the parents. You say, well, yeah, but what what does it say right here? Yeah, I know. I believe that's called learned behavior. And if you come from a family of a bunch of drunks, there's a good possibility you'll be a drunk. If you come from a family of abusers, you're going to be an abuser. Well, what breaks the chain? What breaks that, that, that pattern in the family? Only God's love. And if you leave God out of your family's life, you leave God out of your children's life, they will be repeating the same mistakes that mom and dad, that grandma and grandpa made. And it almost takes three or four generations for that wickedness to work out. I have a friend that he was raised in an alcoholic family. And I said, how is it that your dad drank, your, your, your grandpappy drank, and you don't want to drink? I mean, perfect excuse, I drink because daddy drank. You know, he didn't do that. He said, you know, Mike, I saw what it did to me. I saw what the alcoholism of my dad did to my mom. I saw what the alcoholic uh, 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 parent did to my sister. He said, I swore I'd never drink ever again. I never drink at all. It's interesting to me that there is that time it works out of itself because usually by the third or fourth generation, somebody might say, hey, we're on the wrong road here. Well, again, he says, those will be repeated in a family until there's an ax laid to the root of that. But God, on the other hand, will show mercy to thousands, it says, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, what is the commandments that Jesus said? Love God, love your fellow man. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Now, I, I realize by nature, that isn't us. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a great religious leader in John chapter 3, you must be born again. There is a transformation that is required within our souls that says, I don't love God. I'm going to live it my way. God says, you need to be born again. And when we do that, God changes our heart and replaces a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And we are able then to be about our father's business. By nature, the Bible says, no good thing dwells in the flesh. We're not, we're not good in ourselves. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Wow. That tells me that by nature we're profane. That when you condemn God, you're saying, I'm God. Now, you know what's really strange? We've seen an attack, it seems, on almost every one of the things that God says will make your life blessed. Have you noticed if anybody here, moms and dads, you got kids and you, 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 you know, you got these different t 
TV shows on, and have you heard everybody now saying, oh my God, OMG, you've heard that? You're reading about it right here. It's interesting how it's been so incorporated into our culture to take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, again, why is that? Because there is no God, I'm God. Tells me another thing about human nature, about who we are as people. I can put everything else down because it's all about me. That's what our society has become. But there's a lot of ways of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Um, This is one of, by the way, one of the first things Jesus did when he taught the disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, and what? Hallowed be thy name. Lord, you're, you're wonderful. You're awesome. You're good. That, that's being hollowed. That's, that's exalting the name of the Lord. That's what Jesus, first of all, realized. If we're going to connect to God, we've got to respect who he is. Now, as a person who's been born again, I want to praise the name of Jesus. I don't want anybody else. I don't want to cuss out the name of my God or my Savior. But I have found that there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. One, we can do it through nominalizing who God is. Oh my God. Oh my God. You find little kids saying this because it's in these different cartoons and things. And it influences them. That God is just, I don't know, nothing. Another way of doing it is profanity. Now, again, if you truly love God, you're not going to be cussing him out. Another way of doing it is hypocrisy, misrepresenting who God is. There's a lot of different ways that we can, we, can, we can take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, I claim I have a relationship with God, but I live like the devil. So that, that's a problem. So, again, looking at the nature of man... We find that he wants to worship something. He wants to worship something that he can see. And what's interesting about this here, he's profane. In other words, by cussing out God, that elevates me. Well, we find now the next. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now again, um, there's a lot of people that try to bring Christians back under the law again. And um, Hebrews 4, 9, there the writer says, Christ is our rest. Our Sabbath rest is found in him. Let no man judge you according to new moons and Sabbaths and those things, because Christ is our rest. Again, the Ten Commandments was a covenant that God made with the Jewish nation. Very clearly, in the book of Galatians, it tells us that we're not saved by our dietary laws or what day we worship on. And if you're a paramedic, your day of rest might be a Tuesday or it might be a Wednesday. If you're a policeman, same thing. I do believe, though, universally, friends, there should be a day a week that we don't work, that we just enjoy what God has given us. The world even has a name for it. Stop and smell the roses. We don't even get that as Christians sometimes. Well, you got to keep your old nose to the grindstone. You know, it says here, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the Lord your God, in all you do, and in all that you do, you shall do no work. You, your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle. 
Whoa, what? Yeah, even the animals get a day off. I like that. And it says, nor the stranger who is in your gates. In other words, you're going to, we're just going to enjoy what God's given us. Now, this tells me something about the nature of man. One, we will do that. We call them, you've heard this, workaholics. They'll work every day thinking, thinking that my extra work is going to make the difference. It might, but you'll miss life. Be careful. This is part of the psyche of man. Work every day, never take a day off. On the other hand, six days thou shalt work. I know people who won't work any day of the week. They're just lazy. Some of you saying, I know, I'm married to one. But the thing is, is that it tells me two things about human nature. We can work ourselves to death or we can be lazy. Now, again, this is part of what's wrong with man. You want to know what this... Now, something I found, anybody here, you might think about this. Your body was designed by God to take a day off. Just was. Now, Sunday may be your day of rest. Saturday may be your day of rest. (laughs) Worshiping on Sunday is not the mark of the beast. Some of these goofy religions out there say dumb things like that. The mark of the beast, clearly the Bible says in Revelation 13, is a mark on your hand or on your forehead. You won't be a buy or sell unless you have that mark. And when I see the crazy way the world is now with the vaccinations, I'm going, we might not be too far away from that. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.